May 19th, 2019, Facebook Messenger. Hi there. Jake and I are spending the summer in California from now until late August when we'll return to NYC. I had an early miscarriage five days ago, and even before that had been feeling like it might be a good idea to get some counseling. I wondered if you might be willing to meet with me this summer in whatever capacity your schedule allows. If you're not able to do counseling right now, that's totally fine. Just thought I'd give it a shot. Best, Danielle. I said, if God takes you, I will never go to church again. Salt and light. Where does it say light? Nobody told me you can grieve this. You're going to be grieving sex in your marriage. You are the salt of the earth. God put a baby in your tummy. So everything was held in God's hands that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Let's start, um, you know, kissing. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try the ESV. Hi, I'm Danielle and welcome to season four of Salty. I remember typing out that message you just heard on my phone, lying in bed next to Jake. I remember how much I hated adding the exclamation point after hi there and how I winced as I typed the word early before miscarriage, deleted the early, and then put it back in. The woman I wrote that message to did in fact walk me through the pain and grief of losing my child last summer, and she also introduced me to Julian of Norwich. Julian's story became so interwoven with my own that I'll bring her in in various parts of the season. Which by the way, if you're new here, My name is Danielle, and I host Salty, a podcast where we devote each new season to exploring a broad topic of Christian experience. I am usually featuring the story of some wise, interesting person, but today, for the first episode of the season, I'll be sharing a story of my own, one that informs my understanding and struggle with the prospect of love. And love is, of course, what Salty's fourth season, Call Me Baby, is all about. But I promise, after today's episode, I will never talk this much again. Now let's start by going back in time. Not that far, just about eight months ago, inside an old quiet church on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where I can be seen sitting in a pew second from the back. It was late March. We were in the thick of Lent, And Sunday morning, after I had dropped my son off downstairs with the other children, I had a few moments of silence to myself. I hunched over, resting my folded arms on the wooden pew in front of me, and began to pray, or think, or some combination of the two. Throughout my Lenten fast, I had been mulling over a specific question. See, I was feeling a sort of spiritual lostness. And in that place, I began to doubt one very personal conviction I'd previously been so sure of. I'm not going to say what that conviction was, but basically, I felt like my standing on this issue would affect how I moved forward in life. So that day, in church, as I was battling anxiety about all of this, Mary, Christ's mother, entered my thoughts. I thought of how she seemed to have within her such boldness and yet unmatched submission to the will of God. She believed in God's promises to her core, and those promises spurred a wellspring of courage and strength. 
I don't know exactly what femininity is, what the word means, but something about all of those traits in Mary made me think her the most womany of women. And beginning that day in church, I prayed throughout Lent for courage and submission like Mary's. I think God gave me a bit of the courage I asked for, because it was courage that led me to my knees a few weeks later, finally having the boldness to ask God for something dangerously specific, alone, this time in my apartment on the west side of Manhattan. I spoke. God, I said, if I need to hold this conviction for the rest of my life, if the direction I've been heading with this issue is where you're truly leading me, then send me a baby this month. I will take it as a promise. I'll try my best not to second-guess you on this again. If this isn't as important as I'm making it, if my preoccupation with this issue is me overthinking or it's purely driven by my will and not yours, then don't send me a child yet, and I'll do my best to let this go. Was I testing God? I don't know. Does God always answer these types of questions or ultimatums? I don't know. Was it just a coincidence that that month, my two-year-old son would tell me three different times that I was pregnant before I had taken a pregnancy test and before I'd ever explained pregnancy to my son? I don't know. I found out I was pregnant while my best friend was visiting me from Washington. Together, we squinted at a strip of paper under a lamp, and one strip turned to a dozen. A dozen pairs of pink lines announcing that I would mother another child, and that child would in part be a sign of God's faithfulness to my prayer, a sign of His love for me. My friend went back to Washington. Jake and I began packing our apartment into boxes we would leave in storage until we returned at the end of the summer. We'd spend our summer with my parents in California, where Jake had work between his semesters. We'd save money, look for a better apartment in New York, and I'd get through that infamous first trimester in my parents' house. How nice to have some help with Remy while I'd be sick and Jake would be working long hours. How nice to get to walk on the beach with my husband while our child was being formed in my belly. Mother's Day came on May 12th, days before we'd leave for California. Jake bought me a cross necklace and wrote me a card about how lucky our next baby would be to have me as a mom. May 13th, the day before we moved, was a flurry of stress. Renting a car to move our things to a storage unit, scrubbing the baseboards and floors to avoid penalties. I was feeling exhausted, struggling to keep my eyes open while I folded the last of our clothes into suitcases. But for every moment, I felt bad for myself that we were moving for the billionth time with no one to help us. I had an immediate thrill at the fact that our baby was living inside of me. 
that one day I'd tell her the story of how tired she made me when we moved out of our first apartment in the city and how her big brother knew that she existed before anyone else. Jake and I had a 7.30 a.m. flight the next morning to San Diego and swore we'd be in bed by 10 p.m. It was 10.30. We still had hours worth of work to get everything packed and cleaned up. And that's when I started bleeding. I knew right away, with certainty, that I was losing our baby. And minutes after I began bleeding... Remy barged out of his bedroom where he'd been sound asleep and announced to me and Jake that our baby was here. I called my mom crying from my bathroom floor to both tell her that I'd been secretly pregnant for the last few weeks and also that I was losing that baby. My mom begged me to postpone our flight the next morning so I could avoid going through this terrible process on an airplane. But we had to be out of our apartment the next day, and the thought of staying in some overpriced hotel room in New York City while I lost my child felt even worse than being on an airplane on the way to my parents' house. So I woke up the next morning, May 14th, barely having slept at all, furious and unable to stop my tears. Jake and Remy, dressed and standing near our bags by the door, waited for me so we could lock up and head to the airport. I went into our bedroom to take one last glance and check for things we might have missed. And peeking out the bottom from a dresser we'd leave behind was a silver cross necklace, something we'd missed as we were packing. Rage filled my heart as I laid eyes on it shining back at me. I'm not proud to share that I grabbed it, threw it across the room, and headed for the door. You ready to do this? Jake asked, holding Remy in his arms, his eyes just as tired and puffy as mine. I paused, turned back towards our bedroom to grab what I'd forgotten, and asked Jake to help me fasten the cross necklace around my neck. The three of us walked out of our apartment. That day was also my 26th birthday, and it was the worst day of my life. Escape from you. 
In the mid-1300s, there was a woman living in the English city of Norwich named Julian. We don't know much about Julian outside of what she wrote, besides the fact that being the first known woman to write a book in English, and a sophisticated one at that, she was an educated woman, likely schooled by the nuns and clergy at her church. We also know that Julian was unmarried and childless at the age of 30. She would go on to pledge her life to the church as an anchoress and have the rare honor of being buried at the parish she served. It's important to note that Julian was living during the relentless storm of the Black Plague. We can assume she saw many innocent people in her community die horrible deaths, and she lived during a time when churches throughout Europe wrestled with questions of suffering, condemnation, and death, largely because of the devastating effects of the plague. Sometime leading up to her 30th year of life, Julian began to feel a spiritual longing, a longing so deep that she would ask God for three unthinkable favors. One, to understand Christ's suffering and passion. Two, to be overcome with bodily sickness to the point of near death. And three, to receive what she calls three wounds of contrition, compassion, and an earnestness for God. God answered Julian's prayer, and in her book, she recounts her experience of falling so ill that after three days of progressive suffering, she felt the bottom half of her body shut down. Eventually, she lost her sight, her ability to speak, and received her last rites from a priest. Right on the brink of death, all of Julian's pain was suddenly taken away and she was shown a series of visions or revelations from Christ. And then, just as she prayed for, after she'd received the revelations, her body was spared, and she miraculously regained her health. I was the angriest I've ever been the night my miscarriage began, and the morning after. But in the days that followed, my anger was replaced with the question of why. Why answer my prayer and then take the baby from me the night before my birthday of all days? Why give me those weeks of connection with a new life inside and not allow me to know it, to hold it, to mother it? And had that pregnancy been an answer to my prayer at all? When I became pregnant immediately after asking, I felt so loved by God, and now I felt just the opposite. These are the questions I brought to the woman I messaged on Facebook. And pretty early on, she mentioned Julian's book, Revelations of a Divine Love, something I was slightly embarrassed to admit I'd never even heard of. I ordered it on Amazon that day. The divine power of Amazon Prime's two-day shipping had it in my hands that week. And one night, when I finally got around to opening the first page, I read one of Julian's opening sentences. Quote, these revelations were showed to a simple creature unlettered, the year of our Lord, 1373, the 13th day of May, end quote. My eyes widened, squinted, and then welled with hot tears. The 13th day of May, the day my suffering began, was the same day Julian's did too. Another coincidence, maybe. 
It would be impossible to communicate now how much of Julian's book resonates with my experience of childbirth, mothering, and with my experience of miscarriage. But if I were to share the words that contributed the most to my process of healing, it would be these ones that I read the same night I first opened the book. In this vision we'll hear, God directs Julian's attention to a small object in her hand. Also in this he showed me a little thing, the quantity of an hazelnut in the palm of my hand, and it was as round as a ball. I looked thereupon with eye of my understanding, and thought, What may this be? And it was answered generally thus, It is all that is made. I marveled how it might last, for methought it might suddenly have fallen to naught for littleness. And I was answered in my understanding, It lasteth, and ever shall last, for that God loveth it. And so all thing hath the being by the love of God. In this little thing I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second is that God loveth it. The third, that God keepeth it. Littleness. Littleness, this word that Julian used, just so happened to be at the heart of my pain and struggle with losing this baby. I mean, even in the defining of what I actually lost, littleness kept getting in the way. How could I say that I even lost a baby? My baby that was maybe the size of a blueberry when others lose babies that weigh a pound or seven pounds or 15. Littleness. It's the very trait that made me wonder, was my baby too small to go to heaven? Too little to merit this rage I felt. Too little to justify the panic attacks, the traumatic replaying of the days I bled. Was she too little to matter to God? As Julian looked down at that hazelnut in her hand, the hazelnut containing everything and yet in size being nothing, I felt invited to acknowledge the littleness of my baby as well, not too far off from the size of that hazelnut. And then, like a blanket of mercy, the words fell over me. It lasteth and ever shall last, for that God loveth it. In this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second is that God loveth it. And the third is that God keepeth it. After studying Julian's visions the last five months, it is my firm opinion that they do not tell an oversimplified, trite message of God's love that since God loves everything and everyone, suffering and sin don't matter. I hope to communicate this well throughout the season. But yes, in the darkest of times, when death was seemingly in the process of separating Julian from her body, from all of her life, the primary message God had for her was that she was actually safe with him, that somehow in the midst of suffering, he loved her fiercely that he would not abandon her or anything that he made in life or in death. This grace, this mystery that God showed Julian, if you believe her accounts, was astounding, farther reaching than many can comprehend. And being knee deep in my own pain of being separated from a child I so wanted to be united with, 
Julian's written message was the only thing able to still my restless heart. My baby would not be abandoned for its littleness. My child lived and ever shall live because God loved it in its life, in its death, and in its reuniting to Him. And so, yes, I can call it my baby, and I can call myself blessed and beloved that God chose me to carry something so precious to Him, even for such a short time. I do need to say one thing. My life is full of women who have lost pregnancies and struggled in various ways with infertility. This is just one experience in the sea of women's stories that have all sorts of nuances and mean very different things to each person and family. I am sharing my story in part because many women in my life shared theirs with me long before I experienced this myself, and truly, those stories lightened my darkness. Some of you may know that I am now five months pregnant with a new child, a little girl. I found out I was pregnant again just three weeks after losing my previous pregnancy, and I don't share this to give this story a happy ending. I don't even think I see it that way myself because it was very difficult to go through this process again in the midst of grief and fear. But this is what happened, and I am grateful to feel tiny feet kicking me as I speak. The next six episodes, like I said, will be back to the normal format where some other person shares a story. And the stories I have to share with you this season are powerful, funny, and full of grace. You can keep up with Salty on Instagram at Salty Podcast and can visit the website at saltypodcast.com for the previous three seasons of the show. And a special thanks to Daniel Pimentel for sharing his music with us all season long. You can find today's featured song, Winter Moon, and his other music on iTunes, Amazon Music, and Spotify. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.